0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bassett Television, brought to you by our friends at Bass Bassett Television is currently on the WFN network and will be on the Versus Network starting in January of 2009. And hey, for all you Canucks, don't forget we're on Wild TV in Canada as we speak right now. Aaron, you're alongside, aren't you? I am. I'm here, man. What are you doing? I'm, I'm ready to go. I tell you what, it's
1: kind of depressing that summer's almost over, but, you know, that means one thing, and uh, hunting season is about to start, and also
0: uh, the coolness back for fishing. Yeah, and as, as soon as we say that, I'm actually looking at footage of 170-inch. water right now. <laughs> nice. Yeah, sorry. So if I, if I don't stay focused on the podcast, that's why. I see. I see. I see, hey, Icar. we're going to be checking in with uh, CBA angler John Van Dam, right? That is right.
1: It's going to be a great interview, man. What a, what a not only an individual and an upstanding citizen, but he's also a great angler, so. And then,
0: who do we have on the Inside Edge segment? We have the, the man himself, pond boss, Mr. Bob Lusk. Oh, that's going to be good. Yeah. Well, you ready to go? I am. Let's get to it. All right, folks. It's all right here for you on the Edge.
2: You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches on. Experience the revolution.
3: oh look here, I got one, I got one. Look
4: here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Nice. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Whoa! Oh, look at that side of gun,
0: man. That's awesome you know
4: you've got to just stay active fishing is not
1: easy oh man that's a toad this is unbelievable
0: welcome to the edge outdoors dan mr aaron martin the host of bass Edge, is alongside and man i gotta tell you can you believe it's august already no i cannot and uh you know the there it's kind of bittersweet
1: from the standpoint that you know this is the time of year when i love to go deep fishing and, and get out there and settle over those suspended fish but yeah i've been losing a lot of sleep lately trying to keep up with the Olympics and everything that's
0: going on there. That's been pretty exciting. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sorry. I'm not an Olympic man. I've been out videotaping big bucks. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll hang my gold medal on one of these, some of these racks I've been seeing. Today. There you go. There you go. You know, hey, you know what? Honestly, it's, summer's almost over, but, you know, the best fishing by far, in my humble opinion, is is always spring. And fall. fall is one of my favorite time of getting on the water. Oh, no question. I mean, you know, this is when
1: uh, we've already started seeing a cool down. And obviously we know one thing that we've known for a long time through Bob Lusk and, and other individuals that has been on here is that really starting in June on that equinox, you know, the days are getting shorter. That means one thing, you know, because the fish rely on the moon and, and the calendar and, and uh, the solar lunar tables to uh, basically that puts them into feeding mode and getting ready for the winter and uh, there's nothing better than seeing those schools of bait fish start migrating towards the backs of the creeks.
0: And, you know, those fish are getting heavier, too. I oh. mean, it's, it's a lot of fun when you lift that jig up and you feel that big old bass on there. Exactly.
1: Other than just, the obviously, the immense strikes that you get, you know, there's just something about when you start approaching in the fall. The, the cooler mornings, the fog kind of rising off the water, you know, it seems like wildlife... Uh, just absolutely explodes into uh,
0: kind of making their audibles and things like that. So there's a lot of benefits to uh, be able to get out on the water in the fall. Yeah, speaking of gold medals, we want to send out a big uh, congratulations to Kevin Van Dam. What is it, third or fourth time? (laughs) It's his
1: fourth time, yeah. The guy is, uh, you know, truly phenomenal. I mean, he he wrapped up his Angler of the Year uh, title uh, actually, uh, I think, prior to the last event of the season. But uh, congratulations out to him, and uh, he is truly a, a machine.
0: Yeah and then hey don't forget folks the 1 million dollar forestwood cup is going to be decided pretty quick so you want to keep watching for that.
1: It's going on right now as we speak and uh, you know probably the, the day or so after everybody will know who uh is probably going to be a million dollars richer. So can you imagine the pressure? You know that's on you. I, I remember when Scott Suggs won it last year when I was there and then getting to to talk with him. I mean he just said it, it was
0: just mind blowing the amount of pressure that was but I know was. what I'd do. I'd buy season tickets to the Cardinals. I'd buy season tickets to the Rams. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. You'd buy you some big ranch out there. I'd buy me, well, that's, or I could still afford season tickets. I'd buy a 1,000 acres of deer hunting property. With and big lake. Nope, the only time anybody would ever see my big fat wide rear is at a game. There you go. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd retire. Exactly. I don't think you can retire in a million. Isn't that horrible to say you, could, you can't retire in a million anymore? Yeah.
1: You know what? I, I kind of look at it that I'm already in retirement. You know, we both get to do what we love.
0: But, yeah, you're right.
1: I mean, it's especially with these gas prices, you know, huh? they're coming down a little bit. Ooh, I mean, you know, now they're only at uh, $3.70 instead of $4. Yeah, and we're happy.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's something seriously wrong with that. Karen. Exactly. It's crazy. Well, listen, we need to get going. Uh, I believe up next is CBA angler John Van Damme, Is that yeah, right? That's exactly right. All right, folks, we'll be right back after these messages. And I hope you enjoy the interview right here on The Edge.
2: Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard.
4: It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere.
0: If you
1: own a boat, you need one of these.
2: MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat
4: ramps. Kit started under $140. And best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard.
2: Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility.
1: All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us this week is Collegiate Bass Angler Association member and also uh, angler of the BASS Southern Opens, and that is Mr. John Van Dam. John, thanks so much for being part of The Edge.
3: Hey, no problem, man. I'm glad to be here. You know, John,
1: I mean, we've got a lot of things to talk about, and also, you know, we uh, had the opportunity to spend some time uh, together up in northern Minnesota, in the north country, so I don't want to kind of give our secrets away up there yet until uh, the show actually airs, but, you know, you've you've kind of had a, a busy schedule this year with uh, college and trying to fish and, and actually done quite well.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's been tough for me. I missed, uh, you know, a couple weeks of school, going and, and pre-fishing for some of the Southern Open tournaments, and... And then going to the tournaments themselves, you know, I'm fortunate only only one of them was during school. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the one after that, it wasn't. But, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough that I, I did well in that tournament. And, uh, you know, it helped with school, too, so I stayed focused, but it was it was pretty tough to, to keep that mentality. Well, you know, and before we dive
1: off into kind of today's topic, I mean, we spend a lot of emphasis and a lot of energies here on the edge. Um, we have Troy on from Collegiate Bass Anglers Association talking about the organization. How instrumental has that organization been to you as not only a student but also as an angler?
3: And that organization is awesome. I mean, the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association, has given us, uh, you know, an opportunity to travel, you know, meet tons of people, potential sponsorship opportunities, you know, many different things that are going to be really beneficial, you know, to the young anglers around the country.
1: Well, and and do you feel like has has that made it more difficult to stay focused on on your schoolwork, or does that actually add some fuel to the fire and and, and motivate you?
3: Uh, I'd say it adds fuel to the fire. You know, most schools have a you know a GPA baseline per se that you know, where they don't allow you to come back, if you don't keep a certain GPA, and, you know, now we're starting to see kids go to certain schools just for the, the bass fishing. And did you
1: ever think, I mean, I know I certainly, you know, when I look back, uh, would have never thought that, you know, you would have had fishing that would be motivating anglers and students to, to go to college as a result of being able to participate.
3: Yeah, I know. It's I mean, it's pretty awesome. I never really, really would have... Uh, You know, picture it It definitely wasn't my plan when I went to college. And then I started looking into it and and found, done some research. And and Troy actually, uh, you know, approached me because he's, you know, a customer up at my dad's store. And I, you know, I didn't know who he was at the time. Then he told me about the organization and that. And it just got me real fired up, you know, getting ready. Started the club at my college. And, uh, you know, I fished a few tournaments you know it's pretty awesome
1: maybe give some of our younger listeners and also the parents and, and relatives of those
3: who who have
1: some some uh, students in in college you know how do you manage uh, getting off school you know to be able to go to these tournaments and be able to practice is that pretty easy are they understanding or uh, what are you faced with there
3: i mean yeah anywhere you go it's tough to miss a week of college you know but if you take the time go to your professors beforehand i usually like to go like the first day of class, you know, if I have an event coming up and just let them know, listen, I'm like, hey, you know, I fished for the school, I'll be leaving here, you know, possibly, you know, miss a week here, uh, you know, a couple days there, that type of thing. You know, I'll just let them know beforehand. And then when the time comes closer, you just remind them, and, uh, you know, the, the professors are more than willing to work with you.
1: Well, uh, that is certainly exciting, you know, John, and, and I think uh, you guys have done just such a great job of, of really trumpeting kind of the benefits of that organization. You know, now really drawing, I guess, our focus, you know, over to more of the technique and, and the topical discussion for today, and that is, on the, is going to be on the topic of smallmouth, and certainly, you know, being from Kalamazoo, Michigan, I know you've had your fair share of opportunities to catch a, a few bronzebacks.
3: Oh, man, I tell you what, it doesn't get any better than going out and catching a bunch of big smallmouths you know there's not much in the world that can beat that yeah well
1: uh, and i think you uh when i called you i asked how things were going to get ready to start the interview and and you're on your lunch break basically right now aren't you
3: yeah i'm on my lunch break right now you know i just got off the water for the morning and I mean yesterday I spent the day over at Lake St. Clair which is one of the supreme smallmouth fisheries in the country and it was just unbelievable. When you look at
1: at, uh, kind of the northern lakes uh, that you're so familiar with you know whether it be St. Clair or or any of the lakes up in the northern region what is the starting point that uh, kind of where our listeners can begin to seek out, you know, and and target smallmouth? Where do they need to start?
3: Well, you'll find them in many, many of the rivers around the country. You know, from the Tennessee River, uh, they get them a little bit further south than that even. Uh, But, you know, some of the small creeks and that type of thing, smallmouth really like current. Uh, You know, if you find some places, uh, different lakes that have current in them, uh, you know, the smallmouth will set up on those. And, and it's you look at the maps and that type of thing, you could, they'll say if there's smallmouth in there. But, you know, a lot of places, once you get farther, you know, south of Indiana, they don't really have a whole lot of smallmouth. It's kind of hard to find them. You know, I know in Texas they have a few. California they're starting to catch a few. Um, but, you know, they're, they're kind of few and far between. So when, whenever you have a, a lake or a body of water, you know, that is known
1: for smallmouth, they're, they're known to have, you know, numbers in there how, how do you break down as far as are, are they different animals per se than you know the native largemouth
3: and the, and the spotted bass uh, as far as how you approach trying to catch them yeah i mean they're far different than uh you know than any any other bass you know the thing about the smallmouth is that they don't have to relate to anything like a largemouth does you know a largemouth is going to be placed somewhere but it's going to be placed you know there's got to be something there to hold it whether it be of contour break a log something like that um, whereas a smallmouth can just roam open water and chase bait fish around. You know, they're, they're really hard to pattern, uh, you know, but once you, you know, I've fished them my whole life, and, and once you, you fish them for a while, you get used to them, then you kind you can kind of predict what they're going to do. And, and does that change, you know, when you look at the
1: seasonal, uh, kind of breaking it down into seasonal conditions, maybe from a pre-spawn, you know, spawn, post-spawn into the summer-winter patterns? Um, how much do those fish change, and how much do they move, and how much do you have to adjust, you know, to keep up with them?
3: They move quite a bit, you know. From the, when they're spawning, they spawn in probably, you know, in the lakes up here in Michigan, northern Michigan. They get to really, really clear, deep lakes, and uh, you know they'll spawn in 12 feet of water, which you know is tough to, you know, find the fish that deep when they're spawning. And uh, you know they'll move out and they'll suspend. They'll go out to 60 foot, possibly. You know, I've caught fish in 60 foot of water, 65 foot of water. Uh, you know, but they move quite a bit and those basically they'll transition from you know when they're they're uh, they're spawning on the flat They'll go out to that first break, and then after that, they can pretty much go anywhere.
1: You know, and I always kind of break it down by following, you know, just the the baitfish migration routes. Uh, you know, there is that point in time to where they transition over, obviously because the baitfish maybe haven't moved. Uh, do you find that to be true? You know, with smallmouth in in the north country of uh, just following those same
3: routes. Yeah, they're they're creatures of habit. You know, they'll they'll go and they'll go to the same point, but you know they come on it you maybe you catch them there at one time you know you check the time of the day you know during the day um shad and stuff will kind of make a a little cycle per se they don't really go in just a random direction they kind of go off and they'll go in like a make like a circle kind of thing i guess you could say but it's like a they'll hit certain spots at certain times you know just uh whether it be the algae or the vegetation that the, the shad and and, uh, you know, the bait fish are, are eating um, or whatever it is there, but they're going to be there for some reason. It's just sometimes you'll catch them, and they'll be, say you catch them at 12 o'clock, well so you go back there the next day, you catch them again at 12 o'clock. But if you go there any other time, you don't catch them. So it's it's kind of weird. It's hard to pattern, but it, it is you know, a little easier once you figure out those little details, though.
1: So it sounds like that it's very beneficial to make sure that, you know, especially when targeting smallmouth, you know, keeping track or keeping a log of when you're catching, what you're catching on, you know, the particular spot, because that could pay a huge dividends, you know, later in the in the year or later in the week or, uh, you know, even in future years to
3: come? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, especially later in the week, you know, it seems to be more beneficial to do a log like that if you're fishing, you know, practicing for a tournament or you're just fun fishing or whatever it may be. But, I mean, usually... I guess if you're a fun fishing, you don't really need to keep a log. But uh, practicing for a tournament, it's beneficial if you have one coming up that week to do that kind of thing, you know. But whereas the next week, it may not work out for you. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about bait choices.
1: Um, you know, if if you were to have to narrow it down to a handful of baits uh, as far as what are going to be your go-to baits when targeting smallmouth, um, you, you know, what what would those be?
3: I uh, definitely have to go with uh, spinner bait being one choice. Uh, tube. Uh jerk bait, and a drop shot.
1: Okay. So, uh, you know, taking it one step further, uh, you know, item by item on, on the spinnerbait, is there anything that's unique on the spinnerbaits that you've had success on that may be different from, a say, a spotted bass or a largemouth, or are you using the same uh, same type of spinnerbait?
3: I'm changing the spinnerbait up a little bit. Um, what I'm doing is I'm putting smaller blades on it, something that I can get going really, really quickly. Um, you know, whereas a spinnerbait, most spinner baits come with a smaller blade on top and a larger blade on the bottom. I generally like to change it so the smaller blade on top is the same size as the blade that's on the bottom. And, uh, you know, it really gets the spinnerbait so you can move it a lot quicker than you can regularly. And, uh, you know, smallmouth really like stuff like that, real fast-moving, you know, baits that go every which direction. And what about uh, color of of skirt, and do you throw it with a trailer? I don't throw a trailer on it. I'll put, like, a trailer hook, obviously. But, uh, you know, I don't do a trailer itself. Um, but skirt color, uh, usually your white Uh, that type of thing seems to work the best because the smallmouth are going to be on the clear mostly uh, when you find them, especially in Michigan here, the clear water lakes is where you're going to find the smallmouth and your whites and your your shad patterns are going to be the, the most uh, productive.
1: You know, and kind of jumping now over uh, to the tube, one of my favorites, because it's, it's so versatile, you can mimic it, use it to mimic a, a bait fish or even a, a crayfish. How are you rigging that and then also, you know, colors? H- what are you using to determine there?
3: Uh, the way I rig a tube, you know, when approaching a smallmouth, is you know, put the weight right, uh, the, the, actually a tube hook. Um, it's actually called a big dude head, which is, is a little bit fatter at the head than what a normal uh tube hook is but you just slide that right up in inside the tube itself when you have the exposed hook and it works really really well
1: you know and, and the other thing that I, I think you know by describing kind of that bigger head that you're talking about shoving up there is one of the things that comes into play in the north is the gobies you know and and by having kind of that flare up up top uh you know it can also kind of resemble a goby
3: yeah well, so many of the lakes you find a small off in are connected to the great lakes and uh You know, those lakes are starting to get tons and tons of gobies in them, and the smallmouth are just basically gorging themselves. You know, you'll find it tough to catch them because there's so many gobies in some areas that, you know, they don't want anything to do with a tube. But uh, it seems to work the best, you know, when you put that fatter head uh, you know, I buy it because that's kind of more shaped like what the gobies naturally are.
1: Now, are you basically staying in contact with the bottom the entire time that you're that you're fishing that? or or do you get into any erratic you know type action with the tube?
3: Staying in contact with the bottom works well in some cases, but other cases I do a lot of uh, you know I guess they call it cracking, uh, you know, cracking a tube or whatever. Uh, basically, working it almost like a jerk bait, to be honest with you, letting it sink to the bottom. And then just kind of twitching it back up, and, it, you know, the tube will hop and go every which direction. And, uh, you know, that really seems to generate some pretty fierce strikes from the smallmouth.
1: You know, one, one of the other things I think that is, is so uh, unique but also fun uh, concerning the smallmouth on, on that type of situation, a lot of times that they'll come up and they might strike at it, maybe miss it. But, it, you know, if you just relax and kind of kill the bait and, and then start your cadence again, they'll come back and actually eat it. Yeah, I mean, they're so
3: aggressive. I don't know. It, you know, some sort of trigger that, that they have, you know, if they get something that's moving real fast and they they miss it and then it stops and then it does it again and just gets them going all over again. You know, I don't. it's pretty awesome when that happens, you know, because you'll be fishing along. So I'm like, oh, there's one, you know, and you missed it. And you're like, oh, man, he missed it. You drop back down and start working in the game, and usually they hit it right away right you know it's pretty awesome,
1: well, and you know kind of in our, our our closing moments here, uh one of the other things I think we must prepare our our listeners uh for is the fact that you know a lot of times you 're fishing around rocks and boulders and uh, you know where the smallmouth like to hang out and and that is the topic of, of you 're probably going to get snagged a lot
3: <laughs> oh yeah you're you 're going to get snagged a whole bunch and uh You'll catch a lot of fish, you know, in the area, so you just got to, you know, take it one step at a time. You may get snagged quite a bit, but, you know, if the fish are there, then, you know, you don't really have much of a choice.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, one last question, uh, John, and that is, you know, earlier in February, uh, you were fishing uh, down at the the BASS Southern Open on the St. John's River and uh, had just a phenomenal finish. Just touch briefly on how in the world does, you know, a young person like yourself go from Kalamazoo, Michigan down to Florida and have that type of success and
3: how important is that versatility. Uh, yeah, the versatility is just, is tremendous, you know. I think what I find is I I feel like, you know, I have that versatility because up here in Michigan is, you know, we have such a short season, you know, 5 months out of the year everything is covered with ice. Right. So You know, I think is, I see everything in such a short amount of time. It's not spanned throughout the entire year, you know, that I have to be able to adapt and do all that stuff very quickly. And it helps tremendously when going down to those southern lakes and Face with cold fronts or, or whatever may happen. Well, it was a pleasure
1: having you on the edge and uh, look forward to talking with you again in the near future and wish you uh, the best of luck uh, coming up there in, in the final event of the season uh, later this year. So, uh, in the meantime, any any closing thoughts before we get out of here?
3: No, not that I can think of, man. I really appreciate you uh, you having me on the show here and uh, it's, it's been a good time.
1: Well, thanks so much,
0: John, and best of luck in the upcoming event. Yep, thanks a lot. That boy from Kalamazoo, you know what? Them boys know what they're doing up there, don't they? Boy, they do. And, you know, one of the things I think that it it shows,
1: if if nothing else, you know, John is is a, a great angler. But just, I, I think the, the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association, like he mentioned during his interview, and just the impact of,
0: of really motivating him to, to do better in school, but also it's helped him as an angler. Yeah. Oh, you, you know what I love about it? He's got me pegged to a T because I love spinner baits and I love my jerk baits.
1: Well, and, yeah. and you throw in smallmouth with that combination, and I mean, it does not
0: get any better than that. No, I mean, that's awesome. How do they learn to cover so much water? It's just crazy. You know, I guess they have to up there in Michigan. Well, in you know, with
1: smallmouth, like he pointed out, smallmouth are traditionally a little bit different uh, because largemouth will be holding to a piece of structure, maybe a stick-up, maybe a dock relating to a brush pile, that type of thing. Smallmouth, on the other hand, you know, they're kind of a roaming fish, and, and they're going to follow uh, really the feeding conditions. They like current. There's certain things that we know that they like. But like he mentioned, you know, you can go to one point. There not be a fish there. You won't get any type of response. But you come back maybe in an hour or two hours later, and the, the point is just loaded with smallmouth that are up there feeding, that they've moved up. And I thought his description of how smallmouth kind of run a, uh, like a milk run, almost like a deer, you know, how, how a deer will follow, a male deer will follow a pattern in a territory, and that's really how he described, you know, the smallmouth. So
0: I thought he brought a, a, a really uh, clear picture of what the smallmouth are doing. Well, and I love the fact that he, the, with being with the CBA, that he takes it like he's being not only a teacher, but a student. Yeah, no question. I mean, in, you know, just having the,
1: the forethought, um, because that that puts a lot of stress on them, you know, on their grades. And that's one of the things that I brought up to him. I'm like, you know, how do you fish the tournaments that you're, that you travel to? Because a lot of those tournaments, you know, they travel quite some distance and, uh, he just, you know, basically approaches the the professors, gets everything worked out and planning in advance. And, you know, that is setting up the stage, uh, for the exact qualities that you need, uh, as an angler, you know, just preparation and, and being prepared. And, you know, the other thing is, is that, I got a lot out of is that, you know, he's from Michigan. I uh-huh. think he's 19 years old. You know, he's going into his sophomore or junior year. But he went down and he, he's fishing the Southern Opens in BASS. This past February went to the St. John's River in Florida, and I think he had a second or third place finish down there, you know, against the the top guys. So being from Michigan and going to the deep south and then being able to turn it on and fish uh, the vegetation and, and, you know, pluck out the largemouth uh, it just shows you how versatile he is.
0: Well, you know, how many times have we heard that over the last year doing the podcast? Versatility is the key. It it, it is, and I mean, no longer, I think, can you expect, at least on the competitive side, Mm -hmm. you know,
1: if you don't have a a couple... Uh, skills in your toolkit, you're probably not going to be up there at the top. But even from a recreational standpoint, you know, that's why we always encourage and kind of the dissemination of the, of all the information that we're talking about here is just trying to provide information to give you a little extra edge on what you're already doing or maybe even pick up some new techniques
0: uh, that maybe we weren't aware of. Awesome, awesome stuff. I tell you what, really, really good interview and what a great organization. Hey, uh, you know what? It's time for the Inside Edge. It is time for the Inside Edge. Are you ready to go inside? I am ready to go, and uh, I guess we'll get
1: to see how uh, how well we answered the question last week uh, concerning small waters, because that's exactly what Bob Lusk is going to be talking about.
0: Well, I guarantee you we didn't elaborate <laughs> what Bob is going to exactly. but all right, folks, you hang here, it's all right here for you when we get back on the edge.
2: You've got the truck, you've got the toys, now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the Tow & Stow Receiver Hitch by b You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made b famous. The Tow & Stow Receiver Hitch by b Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge.
1: All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us uh, once again is pond boss, editor, and fisheries biologist, Bob Lusk. Bob, thanks uh, for being part of The Edge.
4: Hey, Aaron, Glad to be here with you, buddy. Thanks.
1: You're very welcome. You know, Bob, a question that I often receive and often even had as myself growing up was, you know, fishing smaller waters, whether that be from the shoreline or perhaps a float tube or a smaller watercraft, things along those lines, because I think... You know, a lot of our focus is always concentrated on, on larger waters, but really there's some intricacies that you have to pay attention to to kind of maximize your opportunities even on smaller waters.
4: i tell you what, Aaron, there, there's there's over 6 million private ponds and lakes scattered across this United States, and people love to fish small waters. And to tell you the truth, that's the way I drive my living is helping create small waters. So I have a passion for those things. And the first thing I tell people when we design a pond or a lake is to create opportunities for people to fish from the shore. So if you're going to go fishing in a smaller body of water, first of all, recognize that, especially this time of year and the hot time of the year, understand that that water is probably going to be stratified. So there's going to be a layer of water that's maybe four or five feet thick that's going to be the most productive water for that entire pond, and almost every bit of the shoreline qualifies as that. And, of course, you're going to fish small bodies of water with the same kind of thinking that you're going to use in the bigger bodies of water. Find structure, find cover. If you can find a a rim of vegetation, and typically in a small pond, vegetation will grow out, you know, 8 or 10 or 12 feet, and then it's going to stop because that's as far as the sunlight can penetrate down to feed the plants so they can grow. Fish those edges. You know, fish that submerged structure. A lot of small ponds have been designed, or smaller bodies of water, have been designed to where they've got brush piles and rock piles, and that's the way I would do it. Now, if you're going to be in a tube, I think it's a whole lot better to get out in it and cast back to it. But if you're going to be on the shoreline, try to cast parallel to some of this cover structure, especially if you're going to throw a crankbait. Soft plastics, those bait fish are going to be tied up deep in that cover, if it's dense cover. So trying to get out and get your bait into that cover is, is a lot, lot better idea. I love fishing small waters. matter of fact, I'll be home in a couple of hours. I'm going to go do that. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, you know, I think all of us, uh, our, our roots uh, go back to that. And, and a lot of times I find that, you know, if you just grab a handful of baits, there's something about, I think, instead of being in a boat to where you can run, you know, miles and miles all over a lake, When you're on the shoreline or maybe confined to a a small craft, it really forces you to be in the moment and really pay attention to what's going on in that particular uh, situation.
4: 90% of the fish live in 10% of that water. And in small bodies of water, they're mostly concentrated around the edges. I tell you what, my my little tackle box that I stick in my back pocket when I'm going to go fish small waters, I'm, I'm throwing a chartreuse spinnerbait, a white spinnerbait or a black spinnerbait, depending on the color of the water. And then if if I don't get hits pretty quick, then I'm going to switch to a crankbait and fish it parallel to the vegetation. And if that doesn't work very well, then I'll switch to soft plastics, and you'll almost always catch something that way. So
1: in the, you know, starting out kind of for anglers, do is is it best to to start maybe on the dam side of the pond, you know, the deeper side here being in the middle of August?
4: Yes. Because what happens is that's going to be the most stable water. And I tell you, in our electrofishing excursion, where we take our electrofishing boat out and take random samples of fish, the dam always holds bass this time here, always. It's just what you've got to do is figure out just how far out they are and how deep they are. And then once you once you figure that out and pick up a pattern, you're going to be able to catch some fish.
1: So also on, you know, the the stratification or the, the thermocline or the turning over, does that have the same effect? Do we apply the same um, thought process to a smaller body of water that we do, you know, when facing those conditions in larger bodies?
4: Yes, you do. And, and the, a good rule of thumb, Aaron, to remember is that if you can figure out the depth of that pond or lake, Divide that by two, that's about where the thermocline is going to be. The thermocline typically goes down about halfway.
1: So regardless of, let's say, you have a pond that's, that's deeper in one area versus, let's say, in the south, maybe it's a little more shallow. All you've got to do is just divide the water depth in two, and that's, that's normally the rule of thumb for thermoclines. thermocline.
4: If you take the maximum depth, let's say the pond is 14 feet deep, the thermocline is probably going to be at 7 feet, maybe 6 feet deep. So there's going to be areas of the pond where there is no thermocline. You can actually throw down, and the fish might be hanging close to the bottom. But there's going to be other areas, especially along the dam, where you don't need to fish below that seven-foot or six-foot depth.
1: So is it safe to say that
4: those fish would be a little more grouped up kind of on the, on the dam side? You bet. And near cover, it's going to be in water of that same depth. If you've got, for example, uh, something Bill Dance taught me I thought was really, really interesting. With his summertime patterns of fishing smaller ponds, he, he, he'll go out and cast toward the middle, because he's, if there's a hump or something out there that the fish can relate to in the middle of the pond, off the dam, he, he may try to make a seventy foot cast and, tr- and let that bait sink down there as he's fan casting to find the fish. He'll he'll go out there in that deep water and see if he can find the fish. And once he finds them, then then he'll focus in on that pattern.
1: Once again, great stuff. There you have it, and there you are, Bob. Any uh, closing thoughts before we get out of here?
4: You know, if you're going to be fishing small waters, take a kid and go ahead and get some night crawlers and. Take some small hooks and let them catch some brim, too, because that's just as much fun as trying to chase that world-famous largemouth bass. You can reach me at pondboss.com or call 800-687-6075. That's pondboss.com or call the office, 800-687-6075.
1: Great advice, Bob. Once again, we look forward to uh, talking to you in the near future. Aaron, me too. Thanks a lot, buddy.
4: When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's Go-To Tackle System keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling one 390 8780 or online at CooksGoTo.com.
0: Welcome back to The Edge. All right, welcome back to The Edge. Outdoors in Mr. Aaron Martin alongside. And, you know, I told you we didn't go into depth enough like Bob was going to. No, that's, that's why we have him on here, because, uh, you know,
1: his words and his advice, obviously, I, I just really, I think he brings a lot to, to the podcast every time he opens his mouth.
0: Is there a fishing show on TV? And, and, you know, I've been watching TV forever, but is there one that really focuses just on small bodies of water? I can't Uh, remember one. You
1: know, that's a great question. I'm not exactly sure. I do know that Bob, uh, through the Pond Boss, you know, they have the magazine, and then also uh, he has numerous uh, DVDs concerning the building of small waters and the management of those. But, you know, I'm not
0: exactly sure if there is a... That would be a great concept, wouldn't it? Small water or bust. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: you know, I know this coming up, you know, we're currently in the process of filming uh, for season three, which will start in January of '09. But uh, we're, we're bringing in Bob and a couple other small water experts to do a lot of sub segments uh, pertaining to how to break down streams, how to break down, you know, ponds. And uh, because you know, there's a world
0: of fun to be had. Uh, that's where you and I, I mean, cut off. Yeah, t- I mean, to me, Aaron, that's the best fishing. Oh, no question. You know, and, and no, and no offense to everyone out there like large water. You know, I I fish, I mean, Lake of the Woods, I it's one of the biggest fisheries in the country. Right. You know, but, man, I tell you what, there's just something magical about getting out there early morning on a 10, 15-acre lake and just going out there and catching some nice fish.
1: Well, I think it goes back to, and I know we've mentioned this before, but, you know, just grabbing a handful of baits and a rod and reel. And when you're maybe in a float tube or a small boat that doesn't have the big motor, or maybe even, you know, walking the shoreline, uh, it really forces you to pick apart the area, fish more thorough, uh, and that's one of the things that, that Bob and I had talked about in the interview. You know, it was kind of fishing pure and, and just
0: being in the moment. Hey, we don't have a question this week, but we are going to give out a prize, right? That is right. Uh, who who are you gracing with your gratitude <laughs> this week, everybody? Oh, here we go again. Man, Way
1: for a week, and look what you do. No, it actually goes out to Michael. Uh, you know, I may need some help on the pronunciation that's of this. That's why I wanted to <laughs> yeah, I figured that. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's Leicester or Leicester, Massachusetts. I wanna say Lee Lee Catherine. There we go. So yeah. uh, uh, anyway, Michael from uh Massachusetts will receive a Cook's Go-To Tackle Management System, one of the hottest uh, tackle management systems out there, and also a Bass Edge decal. So congratulations out to Michael, and make sure uh, for everyone else that uh, you are sending in those entries, because we do give those away. Some are announced through the e-newsletter, some are announced here, but uh, make sure you get in on the fun, because we are giving away a lot of great stuff.
0: Yeah, and please provide your contact information. No question. We need that to send it. And from Michael, from Aaron and I, if we did mispronounce that, our greatest apology. Yeah. Hey, uh, real quickly, the latest thing Greatest Bass Edge stuff is up and running, and you got all the new video clips. Uh, Every week there's new video clips added to BassEdge.com. Aaron, that's correct, right? Yes,
1: yeah, and, uh, you know, each week uh, there's two new posted, then also on our monthly newsletter, uh, the exclusive video clips that are on there. It's about 30 to 60 days before those get switched over to uh, the website, so make sure that you're actually signed up not only for the uh, e-newsletter, but also that you're frequenting uh, BassEdge.com because we have a whole quandary of video clips that are coming down the pipeline. And don't
0: forget about Ask the Pros. Yes,
1: yes, please. I, I mean, I know uh, we have been receiving a lot of great questions and uh... Our anglers are doing their best, you know, BASS just finished up their season, so they've had a lot of back-to-back events here recently, but uh, you can expect a lot of those questions to to be released uh, here in the upcoming weeks, and certainly FLW is finishing up this week.
0: Absolutely. Anything new going on with you besides being on a big Hawaiian cruise?
1: (laughs) It wasn't a Hawaiian cruise, actually. I got to go out of Mobile, Alabama down to uh, Cozumel, Mexico, and spend some time with uh, my wife and daughter and... uh, my uh, sister-in-law and brother-in-law and their two boys had a great time. And did, so,
0: did you go to Carlos
1: and Charlie's? Did not, actually. I really? Did, How about no. Senior Frog? No, I, I did all that, you know, back in my younger days, but this was kind of a family trip, and uh, so we, we made it more kid-focused and just kind
0: of hung out on the beach and enjoyed the Did the you go see Thomas as a Somali cart? No, we went to... Ah, I really? Well, you just stayed at the resort, huh? <laughs> no, we stayed on the ship. Oh, on the then, cruise. Yeah, yeah okay. when we ported.
1: Uh, we went to Progreso, Mexico, and went to saw some of the Mayan ruins. Cause, uh, oh, that was but, cool. Yeah, because my little girl, you know, her name is was Maya. That, is that Chistanita? Uh No, right outside of Progreso. Yep. Okay. Yep, but different, it's very different side. Yep. Yep, right off the north side of the Yucatan. Okay, fine. Just don't tell me (laughs) anything. But uh, I do get to actually head out to uh, be heading out to California here uh, in about a week and a half, two weeks, I think. I think I leave out on the twenty-sixth. So looking forward to that. Where are your swim baits, and you going? I am taking swim baits and frogs, and we are heading to the delta. And also, Clear Lake, uh, getting to film three shows out there. So uh, oh, That's exciting. Very exciting. I cannot wait.
0: Hey, folks, don't forget, if you're checking us out on iTunes, please give us a rating. We would love to hear what you uh, think of the show and also what we can do to improve it for you. And uh, don't forget to uh, check out Bass Ed's TV on WFN and Wild TV in Canada. And always please go to BassEdge.com so you're up to date with all the latest great stuff from Edge TV. And Aaron, anything else? Because we got to get out of here.
1: We do. I I think we've almost went over time,
0: but no, uh, let's get on with it. Wish everybody a great upcoming week, and we'll see you on the other side. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you next week, folks, from Aaron and I. We'll see you next time right here on the Edge.
2: Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible. DitchWitch. Mothers waxes and polishes. B&W trailer hitches. Megaware Keel guard. Cooks tackle management systems. Ardent rule the water. Legend boats. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Superstar batteries. And the Clark's Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.